Thy word have I hid, Thy word have I hid deep down in my heart, that I might not sin against thee, my God. Open the mine eyes, that I may behold great things in thy law, so shall I keep it continually. Thy word is a lamp, a light to my path. The law of thy mouth is better than gold. Oh, I love thy law. It's my meditation. I delight myself in thy statutes, O Lord, and rejoice in thy way. There was a young lady who was sitting here who said she'd pray for us after lunch. I don't believe she's here. No, she's not. Okay, do we have another volunteer then who will have prayer for us as we start here? Anybody? Oh, okay. Thanks, Samuel. Lead us to the throne of grace, please. Thank you very much. I do appreciate that prayer. Uh, for some reason, I didn't sleep very well last night. And uh, three or four hours is all I got, so I need the power and strength. We always do, don't we? Yes, it's just that uh, I need a little more this time. I have done the telling of all of those things. Yes, I've got it ready. And, um, but before we get that, let me hold you in suspense a few moments in the sense that it gives a few other people a chance to get here, and we can start handing out that uh, uh, sign-up sheet for session four. I brought 54 books, by the way. We had 56 people in the first two sessions. In each one of those two, session three, we'll hand it out, sign it carefully. We have here those books, uh, and just so that you are aware, um, the, as I said, this was a book that was produced by the Michigan Conference, and it's a book on prophetic principles. I know you'll be blessed by it, which is the reason that the Review and Herald decided to distribute it. Um, it's what it looks like, prophetic principles. And it deals with how to interpret the Bible from the Bible itself. And incidentally, did you know that there are 198 different biblical identifying marks of the little horn? Did you know that? 198. We look at one or two sometimes, and in this book, you'll find a list of 198 different identifying marks of the little, little horn um, beast power, 198. You've heard debates and discussions about 666, vicarious filiae day. There are some amongst us who are giving up on our old belief. Here is a study in here, the final study, one of the very, very best historical studies. So these are serious studies by serious Bible-based 
comprehensive historians. I haven't written, I'm not, I'm not the writer, okay? So I'm not promoting my book. I happen to be the guy who did the dirty work. You know what that means, the editor. Calling everybody, send your chapters in, and then working through them and making sure it is solid and so forth. I happen to just be the editor of the book, but I promised it in order to encourage you, to lure you, to be here on a regular basis. If you're here four times, as I said, we will give you a free copy of this book, which is sold for 1995 with taxes at the ABC. But this will be your reward for faithful attendance, and I know you'll be blessed by it. I had to read it probably two times through. You know, as the editor, you read it theologically, you read it punctually, as in the punctuation and all that. Fascinating, fun, difficult, spiritually uplifting work. Now, besides that, because there are some people who ask, by the way, somebody asked me for a copy of the uh, music, uh, Thy Word Have I Hid, and I'm going to ask uh, Rena if she can make a copy later on. You'll remind me of that. Uh, but in addition to that, I will uh, make available and point out some other materials that you might be interested in. Uh, if you are, this, because this is a Bible conference, we actually make it available at a reduced price for those of you who are interested because it's a conference. Uh, the ABC, I've agreed with them, I will not undersell them. Otherwise, you know, the ABC has materials, and if we undersell them, then the books get stuck on the shelf. It's not fair, but there's an agreement. At a conference, we can have a reduced rate, so we will do that here, because this is a Bible conference. We've had prayer. Our theme for the whole series is what? Something better. Something better. Now, sometimes, by the way, something better doesn't seem that way to us, humans. Isn't that true? especially children, whether it be spiritually or not. But I love what my friend had. He was walking around with this on his T-shirt, my best buddy. And I said, hey, Cliff, what is that on your T-shirt? This, this is all he had in his T-shirt, P-B-P-G-I-N-F-M-W-M-Y. And I know some of you already know what it is. What is it? Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. I love that. Now, by the way, let's not make that an excuse to be lazy, to be negligent, to be rebellious, okay? But let's recognize that each one of us is still growing as a Christian. Are we together? So let's be patient with each other, all right? Because I thank God that I've had people who are patient with me. I've had friends who've corrected me, sometimes enemies, you know, sometimes the best people to correct you are your enemies, okay, <clears throat> if you know what I mean by that. Uh, the people who don't like you and they point out certain character growth areas <laughs> that are known as flaws, <laughs> character growth areas. And, and uh, thank God for those people, don't we? Don't we all want to grow to become more like Jesus? That's right. Let me tell you a story about a man who went through that. His name was Boris Nikolaevich Kornfeld. Who has heard of Dr. Boris Nikolaevich Kornfeld? Only Dr. Tim, because he heard me before. He's coming along there. Isn't that so? You heard me share a story of him? You think you may have? Okay. <laughs> well, Boris Kornfeld was a secular Jew. Seats right up front, soft seats here. Oh, are you keeping the your family? Yeah, it's for his family. Okay. There are seats up here. Come right in. At least the front row. There's a seat back there also, Tim. Here are two here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These are available. These are available. Come right in. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. I want him close by so I can step on his toes. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Dr. Kornfeld was a secular Jew. He was arrested during the time of the Soviet Union and thrown into prison. 
And because he was a medical doctor, as we have right here, he was made an orderly in the prison. And so he took care of the prisoners, etc. And when prisoners died from malnutrition, a nice word for starvation, during the time of the communist era, torture, beatings, Kornfeld faithfully, if I can use the word, signed those documents, sent it down to Moscow, death from natural causes. He was a secular Jew. It didn't matter to him. He wanted to survive in the prison as well. But there came a day when Dr. Kornfeld, the secular Jew who's an orderly in the prison, met a believing Christian, somebody who loved the Lord. And his faith was so infectious that Dr. Kornfeld studied and became a believing Christian. He said, I want to accept this Jesus. I want to be. And this Jew became a real follower of the Jew, Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was a Jew. But of course, he was, he's the savior of the world. Make a long story short. As Kornfeld studied, what are the passages we read today? What does Jesus say? I am the what? The way, the, way, the what? The truth and the life. And what was he doing? Signing these death certificates, which said, death from natural causes. The Spirit began to work on his heart. Make a long story short, he realized he needed to go through that reformation of life, transformation. Doesn't the Bible say, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. You agree with, uh, believe that? Amen. By the way, are those empty seats back there? There are three or four seats. Come, come a little closer. There might be a few more who might come. There are one, two, three, four, five, five or six seats. You guys can grab them here in case others come. And by the way, don't forget to sign up if you've been here. Sign that sheet up. Uh, it'll come back to you. Raise your hand. We'll get it to you. So take some of those seats back there. Not these three right in front here. This is, uh, there's one right here. Welcome. Glad you're here. Hey, so what happens? Kornfeld realizes he's going he's gonna to face something, very likely. <laughs> So he goes and he talks to another prisoner, Sasha. Sasha, I become a Christian. The Sasha, by the way, has no interest in Christianity. He's a political prisoner, no faith. But he says, Sasha, I become a Christian. Christian means to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Satan is the father of what? Lies. Lies. He says, now, I'm going to... Stop signing those death certificates because Jesus calls upon me to be a truthful person. I don't know what's going to happen, but very likely when the certificates get to Moscow, they see death from torture, <laughs> death from beating, death from starvation. <laughs> the word will come back to these prison wardens and you know what they probably will do. If you hear a commotion at night, please come and check on me. It wasn't long when there was a terrible commotion at night. And Sasha went to check. And sure enough, Dr. Boris Nikolaevich Kornfeld had been brutally beaten to death by the guards because he was no longer lying. Wow. Sasha was so shocked, so taken aback, so impressed that Sasha decided he would love to become a follower of Jesus. This is a serious follower, and Sasha did. Sasha became a follower of Jesus. Uh, for those of you who know Russian nicknames, Sasha is a nickname for whom? Alexander. And that's correct. Alexander, his last name was Solzhenitsyn. How many of you have heard of Alexander Solzhenitsyn? I figured a few more hands would go up. Alexander Solzhenitsyn became the best known communist Christian ever to come out of Russia. There's a seat right here, Hannah. 
ever, ever. And how did he, how did it happen? Because Boris Nikolaevich Kornfeld decided to be faithful unto what? Open your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2. Let's look at that example there. Here's a, here's a basic principle I want to share with you. The blood of the martyrs, there's an old saying, is seed. The blood of the martyrs is seed. Dr. Kornfeld, no hand went up, except for Tim who's heard that story. I shared wherever I go, I share that story. Yes, we were down a couple of years ago in, uh, what's it, Portland. And uh, that story inspires. By the way, you can find that story in the book by Chuck Colson, the well-known former Viet, former um, Nixon Watergate guy, was in prison, prison fellowship leader. He wrote a book called Loving God. I highly recommend that book, Loving God. He sounds like Ellen White with stories, contemporary stories. I said, wow, this is an incredible book. And Chuck Colson says, God calls upon us to obey regardless of the outcome. I said, wow, that sounds like somebody else I've heard of. Somebody else, yes, Chuck Colson is correct. And we're going to share with you, I'm going to hand out some handouts to you here. Chuck Colson is absolutely correct because Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Let's look at it. I told you I'm going to read from the New King James Version, and I'm doing that right now. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. If somebody doesn't have a Bible near you, share with them. This is the principle from the story, from actually the, 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 the um, um, section that deals with the seven churches. And this is a message from the angel, verse 8, to the church in Smyrna. So notice, but take the principle, verse 10. Notice how it starts. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Stop there. Think about these 20 questions that I handed out to you before. Remember those 20 questions? Now let's be honest. Don't be afraid to raise your hand right now because I have your answers here. I don't have your name on them. How many of you answered these questions thinking about the fear of the future? <laughs> Thought, hmm. Mm, okay, hands are going up. Yeah, we think if I do this, that's going to happen. If I do this, that's going to happen. Isn't that the way we always think? Sure. Naturally, naturally, that is human nature. Sometimes it's we, true. Sometimes Kornfeld. it's true. <laughs> Cornfeld. Well, it, right. it turned out to be right. By the way, it didn't have to happen. I got other stories I'll tell you. I told you Cornfeld's story because we're called upon to be faithful unto death. But we are told, don't fear any of the things that you are about to suffer. That's the first principle. So if you want to write something down, I know many of you are writing things down. If you need a pen, you're sitting right here. I'll lend you a pencil. But uh, the first thing is fear not the future. Principle number one, fear not the future. Now, then we'll get to the end of that, and I'll give you the rest of the principle on the second half of that verse. Fear not the future. Anybody else need a pen or pencil? Raise your hand. The second part, let's go down to the end of the verse. The end of the verse says, but be faithful what? Unto death. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. In other words, so fear not the future. Second half, be faithful to the Father. Simple, basic concept I really want to challenge you with right here. Fear not the future, be faithful to the Father. In fact, I'd like you to say that. It's kind of a motto. It's a Christian motto that comes right out of the text here. Are you ready? Fear not the future, be faithful to the Father. One more time. Fear not the future, be faithful to the Father. Now, I'm going to take you back to the very first uh, session we had. I told you about Victor. The Romanian boy who was faced with a choice between going to church on Saturday or to school on Saturday. If he was going to go to church, um, they said, we were going to shoot and kill your mother. 
He seems, to be, he seems to be torn here between loving loyalty to his heavenly father and incredible love as a child for his mother. Ah, but if he operates out of faithfulness to the father, not fear of the future, what choice is he going to make? You see that? He's going to be faithful to the father because his loyalty, your loyalty, my loyalty is ultimately to whom? To God, who alone knows the future. And by the way, how many of you know the song 30 years ago? It was a Spanish song, went this way. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Carry on. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera, what will be, will be. Remember that song? You know, sometimes I look back, that age, uh, the young people aren't singing with me. Uh, I'm sorry, guys, you really missed out. Because you see, you see, uh, you know what's interesting? Uh, by the way, make sure everybody writes your name on. If you've been in the first two sessions, raise your hand if you missed. If you're here for the first two sessions, raise your hand. I think back there, yeah. Some guys back there didn't get to write their name on it. Let's pass it back over there. Thank you. But you see, uh, those of you who don't have the, the graying of the hair or uh, never heard that song, back in our day, secular songs had biblical messages. We're in a different age now where Christian songs have secular messages. Oh, no, I won't say anything more right there. Uh, let's, let's move on. But you, this is a strange thing. But that is true. Do you know the Bible says repeatedly, if you get the book of Ecclesiastes, we don't have time to go into that now, but chapter 7, chapter 10, it says very clearly, no man knows the future. Categorically, no man knows the future. Then Isaiah 46, you can write these verses down. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10 says, who knows the end from the beginning? Well, who is it? Only God. Only God knows the end from the beginning. I don't know it. You don't know it. Boris Kornfeld didn't know it. And that's why God calls upon us, be faithful unto death. And then it ends, and I will give you what? Crown of life. What is the crown of life? It is life eternal. I remember Augustine. By the way, I, I read some, and, I, and I'm not saying when, when I give an ex example, I'm not saying everything these people did is perfect, but I'm giving illustrations. But Augustine, who is... A church, early church father said, talking about this issue of lying to save life, he said, oh, what a foolish bargain. Why would you lie to save human life and in the process lose out on eternal life? Oh, wow, what a good way to put it. That was Augustine. He says, what a foolish bargain. Has everybody had a chance to write your names on? Okay, what a foolish bargain. Okay, Augustine's words. Okay, so what am I saying, folks? We are called upon, and these are the words of Jesus, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And I told you the story of Kornfeld intentionally because there are times we need to be willing to die. God doesn't always rescue us. Yes, we know the good stories. I say good. We love these stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Better known as, uh, those are the Babylonian names. And you remember the choice they faced. Their own lives were at stake here, and they faced the choice of either bow or burn. Let's go to, let's go to the story, Daniel chapter 3. And by the way, Daniel and Revelation work together in prophecy. They work together in ethics as well. Okay, so let's go now. We're dealing with how should we then live in, in, in light of these last days in loyalty to our Father in heaven. Daniel chapter 3, one of my favorite passages, and I have an entire PowerPoint presentation on that, but we're just, remember I told you, we're squeezing in 40 hours of lectures into four hours right here. 
uh, and so we don't have very much time. I did chat for actually an hour and 15 minutes during the break and uh, ate while I tallied the, the points of all of your things right here. And I will be here, I would love to chat with you a little more tomorrow. A lot more for those of you who have questions because I said we're squeezing in some basic principles and I'll be happy to talk for the Andrea and Mark and Lisa and, and the kids. We sat here, we talked for a while afterwards. Um, uh, Brother Lucian and I talked, Jason, uh, Marla, right? We had conversations. If, we, if you want to talk further, tomorrow we'll take as much time as we can outside of church, okay, <laughs> inside of school. I'd be happy to sit and talk with you to look at issues, but remember the key issue is, the key issue is, how can you, how can I, become more and more like Jesus? Amen. So that we can uplift Him, because as you uplift Jesus through your lifestyle, it attracts people to Him, isn't that true? People say, I want to be like you, I want to be like that person. So that's the idea. We're not here debating right and wrong. We're saying, how can we, how can you help me? How can I help you? How can I challenge you to reflect the love of Christ in everything you do, everything you say, how you treat each other? Isn't that what we want? So we might not always agree on the details, but as we urge each other and motivate each other, the love of Christ will compel us to live for His glory. Remember, let's keep that in mind. So basic, important uh, principles I wanted to share with you there. Dr. Cor Boris Kornfeld was so important as I've read. Now, I know there's quite a bit of discussion. What, sh what are these absolutes that God wants us to keep? How do we know that we sh which they are? Uh, obviously, the Ten Commandments are, are key. You know that. Exodus chapter 20. But do you realize that there are many other things that God calls upon us to do? We know that. Your body, we talked in, our in the break, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is why we as a community of believers tell people, don't pollute the body by means of alcohol, drugs, mm -hmm. tobacco, because this is, I don't belong to myself. Uh, I, I am simply a steward of my time, yes, my treasures, no matter how little or how much I have, my time, treasures, the talents God give me, but also the temple that God has blessed me with. And that is not so that I can have big muscles to show up during the summer. I don't have any, okay? <laughs> but the reason we want to have a physically fit body is three words, fitness for witness. That's it. Fitness for witness. We want to be healthy so that we can best exemplify what a joy it is to be a Christian. Don't you believe that? Right? So the people will say, wow, I want to be like that. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. The joy of the Lord must just be seen through our lives, through our healthy bodies. And that's why, so we look at the principles of the Bible. By the way, there's nothing in the Ten Commandments that says thou shalt not smoke. But there is something that says don't kill. And we know that smoking kills. And nowadays it's public knowledge. Everybody's aware of that. So we look at principles as well. We look at the creation order. We look at how God created Adam and Eve, what He established there. And by the way, that's why Christians together believe in monogamous, heterosexual marriage. It starts right there in Eden. So we look at those patterns that God establishes. And as we study the Bible, we find there are more principles than simply the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? Think of the issue of racism. I was born and raised in South Africa, where it's a major problem. And so what do we do? We realize as we go to the Bible, it talks about we are part of God's kingdom. And, and by the way, the whole issue of racism is a moral issue. You know that by now in the United States. So we want to reflect God's character in all of these basic biblical principles that come out. We don't only look at the Ten Commandments. You follow what I'm saying? In fact, 
Earlier on, we talked about uh, the issue of homosexuality, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And there are many things that are listed there. Some of them are not mentioned in the Ten Commandments. Don't be a reviler. Don't be an extortioner. It, it's, those are the words used there. Don't be a drunk. Remember that? Such were some of you. These are called the vice and virtue lists. When you go to the Bible, there are many places where the vices and virtues are listed. Don't get involved in witchcraft. Oh, yes. Need I say more about the Harry Potter phenomenon? Okay. Be careful of certain things. And the Bible has many principles, all because God wants us to make wise choices so we can live most freely in His love. Otherwise, we become slaves to sin. And we know that. All of these issues, it's a fight between the devil and God to have our lives. So, <clears throat> I'm watching the clock. We started at 4.30, 3.30. Uh, We're going to 4.30. Island's going to give me a, a sign in uh, about 21 minutes here. So, <clears throat> let me, before I get to, I know some of you are, I, I want to know how did we do in our questions. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's not get there quite yet. Well, let's go to the 20 questions. We shouldn't keep you in suspense all this time. Uh, question number one. Let's see how you did. Those of you, how many of you were here with us this morning and did these uh, 12 questions? I keep saying 20. We used to have 20 before. 12. Oh, that's, that's about 80, 85%. Listen carefully. The airplane you're in crashes in a remote snowbound mountainous area, killing almost everyone. You survive, remember? Find shelter in a part of the plane that remains intact, but you run out of food. Having not eaten anything for days, you notice the bodies of your fellow passengers have not decomposed. If the only way to stay alive is to eat these dead passengers, would it be right to do so? By the way, this happened in the Andes. Okay, you know the story, Alive. I've got the book. I've got the, what's the video. And in this case, would it be right? Not would you. By the way, I love it when some people say, I know it is wrong, but I'm weak in faith. You see the difference? And when I get tested, I might fall. I wasn't asking that question. I was asking a knowledge question this morning. Now, my after knowledge, is, there's another, state, another issue called faith. <laughs> because there are some people that say, I know it's right, and by God's grace, I will do it. Be faithful. Some people, again, don't know what's right or wrong, but they'll be faithful to their ignorance, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Because they really don't know the issues, but they say, I will do whatever I understand to be right. That's okay. God takes you where you are and leads you on. Okay. The danger is when we say, I'll do whatever I want, even when I know what's right, I'll do my own thing. Uh, in, this, in this case, 10%, uh, sorry, 17%, I'll give you the percentages. 17% said, yes, it's right to eat your dead passengers. 83% said, no, it is wrong. Question number two. You're living in a communist country, as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and uh, you're required to send your first grade school to a local uh, school uh, on the Seventh-day Sabbath. You're Seventh-day Adventist. Refusal to do so would result in him taking it away into an atheistic family. If there's no other way to avoid that, would it be right to send your school to, to your son to school on Sabbath? 10% said yes, one out of 10, and 90% said no. So we got a tithe going in a different direction here. Okay, problem number three. Enemy soldiers are uh, there in killing civilians and, and so forth. Would it be right to join the military uh, as a combatant so as to fight and drive the invaders out and kill them? Ah, 25% said yes, and 75% said no. And uh, since we are in a Seventh-day Adventist uh, gathering here, just so that you know what do we believe, I went and downloaded this just a few minutes ago, and I will read to you quickly because there has been forgetfulness, perhaps confusion, and perhaps perhaps uh, negligence, rebellion, I don't know. What do we as Adventists officially believe? And if you're not aware, the president of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, the leader of the world church, humanly speaking, just in March 
had two articles, so one that he wrote and another one about the article he wrote in the Adventist Review, in which he says, and I'm going to pull this up in a minute, what we as Adventists believe. There has been a global forgetfulness, mainly in this country. I, I joke, half jokingly say to people who, uh, that uh, if you're born in the United States, you're in trouble, uh, because uh, sometimes, Sometimes we become, as Christians, and this is not just me, I can quote Tony Campolo. I've got Tony Campolo right here. How many of you know or heard of Tony Campolo? I figured that many of you would raise your hands. Tony Campolo says that the danger is that sometimes we become more Americans than Christians. Did you hear what I just said? Basically, and I've got Tony Campolo's, yeah, we become nationalistic instead of being uh, firstly Christians and then, then uh, uh, Americans. Now, I'm a South African. I've got two passports. I carry both. Actually, I have three citizenships. Uh, you know what I mean. South African, American, and? Canaan. Canaan. All right. Uh, three citizenships here. And so, just so you know, for those of you who are curious, yes, here is the official, uh, this is Dr. Jan Paulson, President of the General Conference. Let me read you quickly here. Uh, World church leader reaffirms Adventist church's non-combatant position. Did you hear what I just said? Non-combatant. Non what is non-combatant? What does that mean? No fighting in war. That's the headline. World church leader reaffirms Adventist church's non-combatant position. There it is. I just downloaded this a few minutes ago. And there's a picture of the president uh, somewhere here. Well, it was there. It's gone. But anyway, um, so this is, the, this is the official position of the Seventh Adventist Church. That uh, this is the position we held, and this came out March 11, 2008. Now, there has been a great forgetfulness, specifically in the United States, as to what our position is. Jan Paulson, president of the Global Church, has reiterated, I'm quoting, the church's long-held position on non-combatancy in an article published in the March issue of the Adventist World. Uh, this is the Adventist Review. But just so that you are aware, so I find it very curious. And then there's, I've got the whole article here, which he did write, and on that whole thing. But it's a fact. So what has happened, I find this curious, that 25% of you who answered the question said, yes, you would go to war and fight. A forgetfulness of our official position. In other words, if I claim to be a Seventh-day Adventist, you follow what I'm trying to say? Let, let's be consistent here. If I say I am a believing Seventh-day Adventist, but I forget or don't know what we believe as a church, I'm in trouble, am I not? Now, just from a church perspective, then, of course, more importantly, we want to go back further, deeper into a biblical perspective, which is the thing I'll do tomorrow as we'll be dialoguing together. Let's go to the, the next question here. At the end of a series of evangelistic meetings in an African country, a Muslim leader comes to you, and he's got four wives. Remember the question? This one was very interesting, because I was quite surprised to see your answer. Uh, the question was, would it be right to baptize them all? And guess what? More than 50% said yes. 54% said yes, and 46% said no. Now, I should, I sh yeah, more than, but it's 54% against. You know what's interesting? I can fully empathize. Years ago, I held the same position. I did. And then I kept on digging and studying. And eventually, I got permission to do my, P my Doctor of Ministry dissertation on polygamy. And so I brought a copy. They, we got it published. I brought a copy with polygamy in the Bible. 300 pages on that topic. Fascinating. 
Few of us have really gone in and studied the Bible and looked at that information. It is very interesting. But uh, I just saw that if you're interested, then what we did, we made it into a smaller one, pathology or polygamy, <laughs> just a little one. Uh, so that, you know, those who aren't interested in the whole big one, here is a kind of a more summary issue of it. And uh, you know, if you want to read deeply, yeah. So if you're interested, and it's a, you know what the answer is, by the way? The answer is actually no. Polygamy, if you read the Bible, study it, not simply go with sociology. In a nutshell, did you know that polygamy is a violation of the commandments? Fascinating. Yes. Well, you can baptize them when they stop living in sin. Ah, the oath, we don't say to somebody, hey, come in with all of your practices and continue. The, the biblical position always has been and is when you come to Christ, you stop your life, you take care of the problems or the issues, what you got into. I don't want to get too much into it. That's why these things helped. It. But you make sure you take care of them properly. And you know, it's interesting. I didn't know this until I studied it. Did you know that David, Jacob, Abraham, they all stopped their polygamy when they were reconverted? Did you know that? And did you know that they all took care of their wives and children? It's fascinating. I didn't know that. Uh, and yet I, I was studying. I studied for the ministry and I still didn't even know that until I took time to read the Bible and read it, see what it says. And I was amazed to see how God works graciously and compassionately with the problems we've created for ourselves. Fascinating. So I'm not suggesting you abandon them. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says when you're converted, you stop your sin and you take care of the problems you created, even in your ignorance. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Ah, the most problematic one the Nazis and the Jews. You're hiding them. Would it be right to lie to these soldiers to save the lives of these innocent Jews? Amazingly, this group split down the middle. There were 59 who answered the question. 59. If there were 60, it would have gone 30-30. But it went 29-30. Ah. Okay? 29 said no. 30 said yes. Rare do I find that many people saying no. Normally, well, I've, done the, I've done this questionnaire in Russia, yes. I've done it in South Africa. Normally, it's 80% say, yes, we should lie to the Nazis, and 20% say, no. It's rare to get this much of a 50-50 split on that question. Uh, and already you know some of the things we've been dealing with here about the issue of being faithful unto death. Uh, the gang of robbers has struck your community in killing innocent people. You hear the sounds. You've got your brother's gun that he forgot there. Would it be right to kill the robbers? You know what's interesting? How, many, how much percent said it's right to go fight in war? 25%. Do you know how many percent said it's right to kill the robbers? 75. No, 25%. 25%. And I wondered if it were the same people. <laughs> I didn't have time to go in. And I thought, wouldn't that be curious? Which, which is consistent, by the way. It's very consistent because that's the question they always ask you. Would you go to war to fight? You say no. Next question. If they break into your house, are you going to shoot to kill them? That's almost always the question they ask me. And, and I found it very curious. Exactly the same amount of people. And I haven't checked if it's the same people yet. But that would be an interesting phenomenon to investigate. I've got the stuff here. I just didn't have the time during the reduced lunch break I had there. Okay, what about Russia? Communism collapses, and then the, the Christian churches you want to build, but all the material are stolen materials. Would it be right to use those stolen materials? 22% <gasps> of you said, yes, it's right to use those stolen materials to build the churches. Uh, find it interesting. Anyway, number eight. Um, wartime, you're drafted as a medic, 
etc. And the law forbids you from treating, this is, this, remember I've said, I'm creating situations, answer them as they stand. So you took it as it stood. I said, if this is the situation where the law forbids you from treating wounded enemy, would you go in as a medic? And more than one third said, I couldn't. And some people even wrote. I saw one person said, I need to treat everybody. Ah, interesting. You've been thinking this through. Very interesting. So I was interested in this phenomenon and this uh, percentage. 38% said no, 62% said yes. Because you're saying, what I'm hearing from that, we need to love everybody. Okay, that's what I'm hearing from this group here, from the third, 38%. The issue of abortion. Very tough one I created. Your daughter's emotionally, mentally unstable. Would it be right to consent? I was amazed again. Only one third said it would be right under these dreadful circumstances. Normally the percentage is much higher, but only one third. I was in a class when it was 80% said yes or so, and only 20% or so said no. Was it a uh, yes, it was a younger class. This is an, an older class. Number 10. As a pastor, you've been asked to uh, uh, do the, the, the wedding. Remember the issue of the wedding between people of different faiths? And you know what's interesting? I wish that one day I was in a Baptist bookstore down in the south, Nashville. To this day, I wished I'd picked up the book. Because as I looked at the book inside, it said, what should Baptists do? Guess what? They said, Baptists? Don't marry Seventh-day Adventists. I said, wow, this is a book for Baptists. Yeah. And so I said, hey, don't marry Seventh-day Adventists. Why? Because they are of a different faith. And to this day, I wish I bought that book in the Baptist bookstore. Because we have Seventh-day Adventists who have forgotten we have held the position. You know, we've got to be together in our, in our homes. Anyway, very interesting. How, what percentage? 27% said, yes, you do the Baptist, the, the, the marriage, sorry. 27% said, you do the marriage between faiths. 73% said you wouldn't. Ah, you're, so you're the pastor. So you're the pastor. Would you or not? Would you or not, right. You're, you're an only child. You make a solemn vow to support your parents, and you're thrown into prison unjustly, wrongly. Uh, you're offered uh, false documents by a helpful guard. Would you use these false forged documents to escape if you won't be caught? I was shocked here. Almost half of you said, I would use these false documents to get out if you won't be caught. 46% said yes. 54% said no. Finally, last one. People in a communist country ask you to smuggle in Bibles uh, in, a, in a deceptive way. Almost 80% said, yes, you would do that. <laughs> you say, you said, it would be right, I'm quoting, would it be right to use this method to fool the authorities and thus get the word of God to these spiritually hungry souls? And you said, yes. I always find it interesting that people will use deception to get the truth to others. <laughs> To me, that is, a, that is a fascinating thing. Go to Jeremiah chapter 48. Uh, notice I asked you not to put your names on it because I, I, I'm dealing with principles here. Remember I told you I've changed my own view on things. I used to hold certain views. So I'm, I hope I'm treading on toes lightly because people have stepped on my toes and they have helped me. I thank God on many issues. By the way, I've changed my view on polygamy. I've had to go deeper to the Bible. I've had to change my view on abortion. My best buddy challenged me one day. I've had to change my view on so many areas. Okay, death penalty, yes. I've had to change my view on that. I was challenged publicly at lunch one day. Over uh, with the several of us at lunch. And I had to basically swallow my view because my friend showed me from the Bible that I was wrong. 
He was not against me. It was the Bible that convicted my heart. Okay? You follow what I'm saying? So I hope I'm challenging you here. And so let's go to Jeremiah 48. It's a fascinating verse. Uh, unfortunately, you can only find it in the King James and the New King James Version. The other translations take a different tack on it. I've gone back and checked the original language. And yes, the King James and the New King James are correct. Jeremiah chapter 48. It's a fascinating verse. And then I'm going to tell you a story that happened on the border of Romania. Jeremiah 48. Let's look at that one verse. Just the first uh, part of it. It's the principle I'm after here. Cursed, verse 10, 48 verse 10, the first part. Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord, what? Deceitfully. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> Strong. Now, I know sometimes they say negligently, whatever, but deceitfully is the correct translation. So you see the danger we face as Christians, we are gung-ho to do God's work, but we try to do God's work in our own way. I'll tell you a story that comes from Russia, then I'll get to Romania. Russia, I was in Russia a few years ago teaching, and, and as I was teaching ethics, and we had, oh, fascinating time. By the way, we didn't have a four-hour series. We had 30 hours. So apologies if you feel like you're being hamstrung and you can't raise your hand and you just want to... I'm sorry about that. That's why we'll spend tomorrow in dialogue, okay? <laughs> and by the way, today at 5.45, I have to leave as soon as we're done here. I've got a 5, 10-minute leeway because I've got to run. But uh, I'm not running away. I'll be here tomorrow, okay, Amen. to discuss things, to dig deeper. But I remember the question came up about this issue, these issues. Ethics class, 30 hours of lectures with a translator. And by day, by day three, one guy raised his hand and said, Professor, I disagree with you. And I looked and I thought, oh, he was missing yesterday. And this was an intensive, a one-week lecture series, 30 hours, one week, six hours a day. Five to six hours. He had missed five to six hours of lectures. That's the equivalent of two weeks of lectures. And I suddenly realized, how do I catch one guy up for two weeks of lectures in an intensive? And, and, and the Lord gave me an answer. And I looked around and I said, does anybody here want to respond to his question? And a 50-something-year-old guy in the front raised his hand and he said, I would. And Shumuel got up. And the translator is translating to my ear. Everything is happening, obviously, because I don't speak Russian. And he's, this is the story. Shumuel gets up and he says, I got it here. I wrote it down. I had to write it. He said, before this course, these are all pastors, by the way. These are all pastors and pastors in training. These are not lay people. Pastors and pastors in training and the president of the conference. I just bumped into his son in Yosemite on Sabbath, <laughs> okay? Oleg Predoliak, I just, uh, just bumped into him there. And there they were. And this, this pastor said, before we started studying the Bible, how to live for the Lord, though the heavens fall, how to stand for the right, how to be faithful unto death, he said, we used to smuggle Bibles in deceptively, didn't we? Yes. And they said, and when we got them past the border guards, he said, what did we do? We were so happy, we took the glory to ourselves, didn't we? So they smiled. And then he said, if only we had done God's work, God's way, who knows, by now we may have succeeded in evangelizing our country. I never forgot that statement. If only we had done God's work, how? In God's way. And Brother Shemuel's point was a valid one. The danger we all face is we want to do God's work our way. Isn't that true? I'm talking about myself. Okay? If I had time, I could tell you a story of my own moral failures. Okay, I'm embarrassed to tell him, but I need to sometimes tell you. Yes, I have seen what seemed like a moral dilemma, and I have buckled under the pressure because I was afraid of the future. Yes, 
I remember it vividly. I broke the Sabbath once. I'll tell you. Why? Because I was afraid of something, so I went ahead and did it anyway. And I was a professor at Southern when I did that. Yes, I have failed. I'm not, I'm not stepping on your test. I'm telling you, I look to the future. I say, if I don't do this, that's going to happen. Question, who knows the future? God, do I? No, I don't. So we must do what is right. So let's talk about smuggling Bibles. His name was Brother Andrew. Okay, you've heard of Brother Andrew? In a book called God Smuggler, he says, I got to the Romanian border one day with my little VW bug, and I had all these Bibles hidden away, well hidden away. And then I, and then I noticed there were six cars ahead of me, and I, I said, hmm, I'll get through here fast today. First car, 40 minutes to search. Next car, one hour. And he thought, oh, and they took the hubcaps off. They pulled the seats out of these cars ahead of him. And this is Brother Andrew's words. I remember it. He says, I suddenly realized that no amount of human stratagem was going to get me through the border today. Wow. This is done in the time of communism. He says, I began to pull Bibles out from under the seat and pile them on the passenger seat next to me. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Amen. This is your work, Lord, he said. If you want me to go through the border, that's your job. It took three hours, three hours for the six cars ahead of him to be searched wow. thoroughly. He says, I pulled up in my VW bug and unlatched the door and pushed. I couldn't get it open. The guard's knee was against the door. He said, your papers, please. I, un I opened my window. Remember those windows back then? I opened my window. <laughs> I pushed my papers through the window. The guard looked at them, and within 30 seconds, he waved me forward. Brother Andrew says, I slowly inched forward, looking in my rear view mirror, expecting him to wave me retroactively to pull over. <laughs> but no, the next car had pulled up. The driver had been gotten out. He says, and then I realized my heart was pounding, pounding, not with the excitement of having crossed successfully another border, but with the excitement of having caught such a spectacular glimpse of God at work. Do you follow what I'm trying to say? The problem I face is I want to do God's work my way. And then I take credit to it. I say, hey, I really got in this time. How clever. And there goes the issue with pride, the original sin. Ah, do you follow what I'm trying to say, folks? Very important. Now, I've got to hurry on. I've got to give you a handout. I'm glad I went ahead and made it because I started preaching here. My, my apologies. You know, I'm a preacher, too. And that's the danger we have. We preachers, sometimes we get to preaching, and we have so much fun preaching that we forget what we're doing. Uh, yes, yes. She's just signaling I have 10 minutes. That's why I'm moving. Uh, I'm going to put you to work, keep you out of trouble here, because... Yeah, and... Uh, if you can help hand these up. Take one, pass them around quickly. I made 60 copies this time because that's about what we've had. And then I want to share with you briefly here. Um, let's see if I've got the same sheet quickly. Yes, I do. Thanks. <laughs> All right, here we are. Uh, as soon as you have it, tell me. I, I want to make sure everybody has a copy. And then we're going to go through this. Already we've done part one. Are we loyal, legalists or loyalists? Remember, which two letters do we change? The second one and the third one, right? We're not legalists, we're loyalists. And uh, I've got a few passages there just to remind you of that. Therefore, we conclude that the man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Do we then nullify the law by faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Okay, so we know those biblical passages there. And it's another uh, statement from Steps to Christ, page 61. Uh, okay, there's some. Thanks. Okay, pass them back there. Okay. And uh, over here, Dr. Tim. One over here on the far right. 
And if we need more copies, uh, we're going to have to. Uh, we got a few extra. Yeah, we'll, we'll get you a copy. Yeah, we had, uh, I, I decided to make 60 instead of 70. Um, Rina, I'm going to have to have you go make some copies. Uh, can you share with somebody in the meantime? Share with somebody in the meantime. Can I borrow yours for a few moments? Uh, okay, Rina, can you, you make the copy for me? Uh, that's, that's the one for the copy. Tim, that's the copy one. That's the copy one. Okay. I can use mine. You can use yours? Okay. All right. Yeah, well, you got it. Uh, make a, a dozen. Who didn't get a copy? Raise your hands. Who didn't get a copy quickly? Who didn't get a copy? Anybody? One, two, three. Okay, make a half a dozen. Six copies, please. Okay, and we'll go through this here. So Reno won't miss anything here. Uh, notice, can God's moral commandments conflict? This is a very issue, important issue that people always believe. Oh, I'm faced in a moral dilemma. No matter what I do, I will have to do wrong. You've heard that? Okay? The lesser of two evils. You know, that's why Daniel chapter 3, that's why I said go there. These men were faced with a choice between bow or burn. Ah, but wait a minute. Who's, who guarantees they're going to burn? You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. No one knows the future. Did they burn when they got thrown into the fire? No. Daniel chapter 3, they did not because no one knows the future. So you see, that's very important. A, a concept you must remember. So let's go through this. Can God's moral laws conflict? I, I've listed them here so that you can briefly see that God's character. Did you, did you know that the moral law is a reflection of a perfect Godhead? There are biblical texts there that I would like you to read at home. And there's a statement, by the way, and this is not just me, uh, Dr. Norman Geisler is a well-known Baptist theologian, ethicist. He, he says the same. He says the moral commandments are a reflection of God's character. So notice this. The law of God is as sacred as God himself. It is a revelation of his will, a transcript of his character, the expression of divine love and wisdom. The law of God being a revelation of his will, a transcript of his character, must forever endure. Now think about this logically. Does God's character conflict? No. If the law is a re re revelation of his character, will there be any conflict in God's law? No. no. The law is perfect, just as God is perfect, and that's very clear. So when people say, oh, God's law is conflicting, there's one main problem, confusion or misreading of the law. And that's the time we must ask for, I salve of the Holy Spirit. There might be a time when you can say, I don't see a way out. Did you notice the language? If you say there is no way out, you've got a problem. But when you say I don't see, all you have to do is what? Have the Lord remove the blinders. Because God has a thousand ways of which we don't even know. Remember that. So, some, so when it looks like a problem, it isn't. It's just an illusion or a delusion. Number two, Jesus' life. Do you believe that Jesus was tempted in all points? So here's the question. If Jesus was tempted in all points, then he, and, and if we face genuine moral dilemmas, then he had to face one also. And if you're in a moral dilemma, you must choose the lesser of two evils, which is a moral evil. That means Jesus had to face the lesser of two evils, which means Jesus had to what? Sin. He had to sin. Ah, did Jesus ever sin? No. no. Did Jesus ever face a situation when he had to choose between two moral evils? No. In other words, those situations don't exist. They don't exist. You can read it in the scriptures. Now notice though, that statement there. Look at the uh, 2C, right at the bottom of the left-hand page. By his own obedience to the law, Christ testified to its immutable character and proved that through his grace, it could be perfectly obeyed by every human being. 
Go to the next page. Human freedom. All humans have real free choices. We are never forced. Never forced. Sometimes the choice is be faithful unto what? Unto death. It's a, it's a choice still. You can still choose, I will be faithful unto death, as happened with many people. That's why we have martyrs. That's why Stephen was stoned. That's why John the baptizer lost his head. That's why Jesus died, faithful unto death. And that's what you and I are called upon. That is, and by the way, he ends off, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the what? Now here's my question. Wouldn't you consider the crown of eternal life something better? How many of you would love to have that crown of life? That's right, and that's what he's offering us. So he's calling upon us simply to be faithful unto death and to choose that crown of life. Faithfulness, by the way, not an arrogant faithfulness, but a humble faithfulness. Only by God's grace can I stand here. And, and I want to do this for his glory. Remember Matthew 5, 16, the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount? What does it say? Let your light so shine before men. Oh, are we supposed to let our lights shine? Yes. Why? That they may what? See your good works. Yes, those are good works. What's the, what's the purpose and what's the end? And glorify whom? Your Father in heaven. That's right. That's what Jesus says. So don't be afraid to let people see your good works as long as it, so that they can glorify God. Amen. You follow that? That's the sequence. That's what Jesus himself says. Go to uh, number four, divine protection. Okay, God will provide an ethical solution for all trials. And I've got all the Bible verses, you can read it in my home, but I put in some beautiful quotations here. This one from 72.4274. He, God, permits trials to come to them. Why? To draw them nearer to Him. But, here's the good news, He lays on them no burden greater than they are able to bear. Isn't that exciting? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That's the first verse we have there. Let's go there. I want to read this because this, besides John 3, 16, this is my favorite and Linda's favorite. Linda's my wife. Favorite verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 10, verse 13. Not 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Beautiful passage here of, of the guarantee we have. An absolute guarantee. And when God gives a guarantee, you can take it to the bank, as they say. You know it's going to happen, right? Look at God's guarantee here. And so this is where I'm challenging you. When you have to make decisions, don't worry about the future. We had this before. No fear for the future, but what? Faithful to the Father. Tim remembers it. Ah, we did it just before lunch. Is this an after-lunch blues session here? Uh, okay, let's do it again. No fear for the future faithful to the Father. Remember that? You wrote it down? I saw many of you wrote it down then. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here's the guarantee. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is what? God is faithful. And He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's the guarantee. There is never a time when you are stuck and cannot go anywhere. Let's go to number five. Back to our sheet. Fair judgment. We've got two minutes here. Remember, the Bible says there's going to come a judgment. There will, there's a standard. And the Bible says that the, the, the law of God is the standard in the judgment. It's called the law of liberty, the royal law of liberty in James chapter 2. And so if there's going to be a judgment, there has to be a fair standard. If, if you cannot keep it, if there are times when you must choose the lesser of two moral evils and you must break the commandments, how can there be a fair judgment if you have to break the law? It makes no sense. 
There has to be a fair standard if there is going to be a fair judgment. And number six, there's an integrated law. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, He who breaks one is guilty of what? guilty of all. You know, it's very interesting. I remember I was in Zimbabwe a few years ago, 1990 to be exact. And while I was in Zimbabwe, uh, we, we had a class and there were the ladies who stayed behind. The guys all rushed off to go get lunch. You know how the guys are. And they went to, and the ladies stayed. They, they were willing to miss part of lunch as they discussed and debated and dialogued with me. And they said, oh, sir, we must, we must save life at all costs. And I said, at all costs? Oh, yes, we've got to save life. I said, okay, so you are now um, working for the government. And so you become friends with a, a, a colonel or a commander of the, of the uh, enemy forces. And the commander says, listen, I know who you are. You work for the government. And the, this commander says, listen, I will give you some secrets on one condition. One condition. You go to bed with me. And I said to the young ladies, and this guy says, listen, it's a secret weapon. It can kill 10,000 of your soldiers. Would you do it? And every one of those women said, no, no, we wouldn't do it. I said, what do you mean? I just thought you said life is the highest value. Didn't you just say to me we must do anything to save life? And they said, yes, sir, but, but, but not that. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop for a moment. Think for a moment. You won't go and lie with the commander? No, we won't go and lie with him. But I said, you're willing to lie to him? Did you get the difference? These young ladies said it's okay to lie to somebody but not to lie with somebody. Just a prepositional difference, huh? <laughs> Question. The, the seventh commandment says, Thou shalt not what? Commit adultery. The ninth commandment, if you read it, do not bear false witness. And I said to them, who gives you the right to pick and choose which commandments you want to keep? James says he who breaks one is guilty of all. And by the way, when you read from Genesis through Revelation, you find out that this concept of truthfulness is corroborated all the way through. Finally, the cosmic controversy. Satan claims God's law is faulty and unfair. And so uh, it is the devil who suggests there are, we cannot obey it. Um, from the first, the great controversy had been upon the law of God. Satan had sought to prove that God was unjust, that his law was faulty, that the good of the universe required it to be changed. In attacking the law, he aimed to overthrow the authority of its author. Fascinating. Very interesting. So what am I doing? I am challenging you. Don't worry about the future. Be faithful to the Father. Say it with me. Don't worry about the future. Or don't fret about the future. Don't fear the future. Okay? Be faithful to the Father. So if God says, do this, you understand His will, you love Him, what are you going to do? Be faithful to the Father. And you know what? Guess what? Once you stop worrying about the future, think about this for a moment. Once you stop worrying, what's going to happen if? What's going to happen if? There's, this is why this guy, John, said to me, Ron, this is simple. It's like a huge weight off my shoulders. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. The only thing I need to do is be faithful to the Father and let Him take care of the results. That's His business, not my business. My business is faithfulness, absolute faithfulness, not worrying about the future. That's God's business. I had one or two statements about being faithful. Uh, maybe I should share them with you before we take a break. Listen to these statements here. We've already given you the biblical concept. Be faithful unto death. Listen to this. This is from a book called uh, Great Controversy. Okay. 
page 609.610. You can go read it later on Great Controversy 609.610. It captures the same idea of Revelation 2 verse 10. God, Christ's ambassadors have nothing to do with consequences. They must perform their duty and leave results with God. There it is. Another one that's very easy to remember. It's about 12 words from Great Controversy, page 460. We should choose the right because it is right and leave consequences with God. Maybe you can say that with me. Are you ready? We should choose the right because it is right and leave consequences with God. One more time. We should choose the right because it is right and leave consequences with God. That's it. That's the way we're supposed to act. Now, I know, I know the way we've been raised is we always think consequentially. Computer, junk in, junk out, okay? You buy a car, you want to know what the resale value, you want to know what the gas mileage. By the way, those are practical matters. We are here talking about moral issues, moral issues. When we make moral decisions, we must not worry about the future. The future is God's business, it's not mine. And that's the challenge to you and me. Will I, will you walk by faith and not by sight? Maybe I should share a story in closing here. And it's a true story, I know, because it came from a source. Robert Wong, personal friend of mine, we were in class together, came from China. The Chinese Adventists had been studying the Bible with some others, okay? And what happened? It got time where they were ready. They wanted to be baptized. And so they jumped on two trucks and they headed out in the general direction of the lake. They didn't know exactly where the lake was, but they had some idea. Now, by the way, in that part of red China, baptisms are illegal. So as they were driving, they decided to stop and ask for directions. And they walked in to ask for directions. And too late, they realized they were in the local police station. <laughs> but they asked for directions. There's nothing wrong in asking for directions. And they said, excuse me, sir, how do we get to the lake? And they told them, go this way, go that way, go that way. And they said, thank you very much. And as they were about to leave, the Chinese authorities said, by the way, what are you going to do at the lake? <laughs> ah, question. Well, we're going to have a potluck. Uh-uh, that wasn't true. That's not true. We're going to have a nice cleanup of the lake. Uh-uh, that wasn't true. They couldn't say none of your business. They'd been asked. And so they said, well, we are going to have a baptism. Now, they hadn't broken the law yet. They had just said it. You aren't arrested for that. So they got back in the truck, and they started driving. And sure enough, two or three motorcycles got in behind them to make the arrests as soon as the law was broken. And as they started driving down the road, something absolutely astounding happened. Without warning, there was a torrential downpour. Now think about that. These guys are on motorcycles. But that's only part of it. Because you see, they were on motorcycles on their way to the lake. And the road to the lake happened to be a dirt road. <laughs> Anybody ever been on a motorcycle in a torrential downpour on a dirt road? What happens? when you ride on a dirt road in a torrential downpour. Yes, the road became muddy, and the motorcycle slid off the side of the road. Those policemen were involuntarily sprinkled. <laughs> Some of you know what I mean by that. They were not baptized, but you know that's not the miracle. The story comes to us. The miracle was that it rained only behind the trucks. Yes, it rained behind the trucks. Those Adventists got to the lake, they'd had the baptism, and they went home without anything else. And, and the story ends, I've got the email, the actual email, the story ends this way, with a few words. Miracles like this happen every day in China. 
And I asked myself the question, and I ask you the question, is it possible that the reason we don't see God working is we like to do God's will in our own way? Mm -hmm. So I'm making an appeal to you. By God's grace, choose every day to do God's will in God's way.